It's 836, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, 40 degrees outside. Let's get started. A couple quick programming notes. Sometime in the 9 o'clock hour, between 9 and 10, I will be giving away a pair of tickets to see Roger Waters of Pink Floyd fame at the BMO Harris Bradley Center. Sometime between 9 and 10, we'll be giving away a pair of tickets each day um, for the remainder of this week. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been rolling out a number of different initiatives that I think are, are so very, very cool. If you go to WTMJ.com, what you'll see is you'll see our mobile app page. We, we now we have a series of podcasts up there. You can download my show as podcast every day, and you can be notified when there's new ones. I know a lot of people are doing that. And I very much appreciate it. We also podcast every edition of Sports Central. And then we have a number of other podcasts from people whose voices, at least right now, you don't hear on the radio, a number of interesting, some from the world of sports, some from the world of business. Um, very, very interesting. So check out the podcast page. We were doing that. And yesterday, we rolled out something that I think is is very, very cool and reflects the way people communicate nowadays. Um, we have, it's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And it's the same number we've always used for phone calls. 414-799-1620. But now, in addition to calling and participating in the program, we know that there's lots of people who might want to participate, but you know don't want to go on the radio or don't have the time to wait on hold or just have a brief thought. So now, it's the same number, 414-799-1620. You can also send us text messages, and they pop up on one of these many computer screens that I have here. And just like we, we take input when we're doing our Facebook Live and we're live streaming and you can participate via Facebook, you can now participate via text message as well for the different topics. So it's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, same number, 414-799-1620. All right, we start off every program with a segment I call Three Big Things, things that I think you need to know for the course of the day. But first, I want to perform a public service. I want to save you 50 IQ points. If you are watching some of the Talking Head stories shows today, I want to stop you from getting sucked into this particular one because, trust me, if you go down this rabbit hole, it will make you feel dumber. You, It is just one of those things where you'll watch it and you'll think about it, and then you'll realize you are substantially dumber than you were before you went into this story. It is the latest Kellyanne Conway controversy. Kellyanne Conway is, of course, the, the advisor to President Trump. She was the visible spokesperson during the campaign. She has become one of the lightning rods following over the last five weeks since President Trump took office. And, and candidly, some of the stuff that's happened has been, well, they've been self-inflicted wounds. You know, she's gone on television to try to spin a couple things and, and gotten some stuff wrong. She was referring to something called the Bowling Green Massacre that never occurred. She, she, she has made a couple mistakes, but, I mean, there is this learning curve. But at the same time, you've got a lot of people who are out there trying to get her. And the idea is if we attack the people around Donald Trump, what we can do is we can bring Trump down. All right. And, and believe me, I get that some of the folks, including Kellyanne Conway, have done some things which demonstrate may, maybe they're not quite ready for prime time in certain areas. But then there is this controversy. If you have not seen the photos and you're, and you're not aware of this and you don't have a chance to turn the channel since I've given you the warning, here's what you would see. Yesterday, President Trump was having a meeting in the Oval Office with um, heads of, of black colleges. So there's a lot of people of color in, in the Oval Office. And there is a picture of Kellyanne Conway wearing her shoes 
kneeling on a White House couch. And all the president is standing behind his desk. All these leaders of various black colleges are surrounding him. And then in the foreground, there, there's Kellyanne Conway, who is uh, sitting on her knees on, on the couch. She's got her feet up on, on the couch. And the, the headline around there is, oh, how disrespectful this is. Make yourself at home, Kellyanne. Isn't it appalling that somebody would actually, like, sit on, on the couch while everybody is standing? And then she's got her feet on the couch. How horrible this is. And this has been the latest thing. All sorts of the usual suspects take to the Internet yesterday to denounce Kellyanne Conway. Well, here, here's what, what happened. And it's why sometimes pictures can be deceiving. She was on the couch. And what you see after the, the picture is she's got her cell phone. And she's trying to take a photo of all these people as well. There's all these people in the, the Oval Office. So she's kind of perched on the couch trying to get an angle. And if you've ever tried to take a picture of a large group of people with your cell phone, you know, sometimes you're, you're trying to struggle for the angles. She is on the couch, admittedly. You know, she's got her legs tucked under her and she's got her shoes on. But she's angling. What she's doing is she's in the process of trying to work her cell phone to take a cell phone picture of everybody that is in the room. So it's not disrespectful. I mean, I'm looking at some of the coverage of this. You know, Kellyanne Conway kneels on Oval Office couch, sparks debate. You know, people attacking her, you know. She was clearly not taught how to properly sit in a dress. She's uh, uh, showing no respect for the Oval Office, all these things. She's just trying to get an angle for a picture. So, again, I understand there's people out there that hate President Trump. I understand there's people who hate everybody around President Trump. But this is my 50 IQ point warning to you. If you see this story being tossed around on the talking head shows, the CNN, the NBC of the world, There's all sorts of reasons that you can perhaps dislike uh, Kellyanne Conway. There's all sorts of reasons that you can dislike other advisors to the president. There's all sorts of reasons that you can dislike the president as far as his style. But this one, if you get sucked into it, I guarantee, I guarantee you will come out of the rabbit hole 50 IQ points dumber. Don't let that happen to you. Friends, don't let friends get sucked into stupid stories. I'm here for you. Three big things comes up next. It's 843, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 846, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Could the funding of public safety in your community end up on the ballot one day soon? Scafidi and Billstead have the information that may surprise you. Don't miss their discussion today. It is 1235. Yeah, that's the introduction of our new show. Eric Billstead and Steve Scafidi start at noon today. Be sure to tune in. All right, three big things. We start off every program this way. Interesting stories that are out there that I think you need to know about to discuss during the course of the day. This was in front of the United States Supreme Court yesterday. As a general rule, when it comes to people who are convicted of child sex offenses, there is a huge fear that those people might reoffend. And so child sex offenders are treated differently than a lot of other criminals. One of the things that we require child sex offenders to do is to register on a sex offender registry. And they're, they're oftentimes they're on those registries for life. And so when they move, they have to give notice to the community and things of that nature. In North Carolina, they have a law that says that if you are 
on one of these sex offender registries, you are not allowed to use certain Internet services. It's not that you can't go on the Internet, but you're not allowed to go on Facebook or Snapchat or LinkedIn or some of these other platforms where you would interact with people. The reason behind this is because there's a lot of perverts that go on to these social media sites, pose as other people or whatever, and, and that's how they start up conversations, and that's how they meet people. So North Carolina law says if you're on the sex offender registry, you cannot be on Facebook. All right, 37, the guy is now 37. 15 years ago, when he was 22, he was convicted of uh, essentially sex with a, a minor, taking indecent liberties with a minor when he was 22 years old. He served his prison sentence. He is now off probation, but he's still on the sex offender registry. So what they find out he does is that he has been going on Facebook. They know he's been going on Facebook because he posts things on Facebook, just like other people do. You know, you might go on, you might post your entries. He has been participating on Facebook. Um, one of the things that, that got his got, drew attention was apparently he'd gotten a traffic ticket or something and he went on Facebook to post how he'd beaten the ticket. But authorities say, hey, wait a second. This guy is a sex offender. He's not supposed to be using these social media platforms and they move to, uh, again, uh, they move to charge him for violating the terms and conditions of his release. He comes in and he says, wait a second. This violates my First Amendment right. I should have an absolute right under the Constitution, to be able to go on the Internet. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm Yes, I'm on Facebook, but I'm not posting anything improper. I'm not using Facebook to solicit underage kids. I'm just using Facebook to communicate the same way so many other people use Facebook to communicate. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. It's also the... Uh, 414-799-1620 is the talk and text line. How many times are we going to do that today? 414-799-1620, the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line, so you can call and you can text us. What do you think? Should he be prohibited? He's on the child. He's, he's a sex offender. He's on the registry. He's going to be on there for life. Is it reasonable to stop him, prevent him from going on to some of these social media platforms and participating in conversations. He can use the Internet. He can go to WTMJ.com and download our app. He can read the stuff that's there. He just is not allowed to participate on these social interactive things like Facebook. Is that an unreasonable law? The Supreme Court was hearing the arguments yesterday. What do you think? 414-799-1620 is the number. We discuss next. It's 851. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 853, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Congressman Jim Sensenbrenner has a very specific idea for what a Mexican border wall should look like. The veteran lawmaker discusses the wall, the start of the Trump administration, and more during Wisconsin's Afternoon News at 421 today. Okay, here's the story. Argued in front of the Supreme Court yesterday. Sex offender, guys on the sex offender registry. North Carolina law says you can't go on Facebook. You can't be posting things on Instagram. You can't be posting stuff on Snapchat. He says it violates his constitutional rights. Chris on the east side. Chris, you're first. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Well, I think if he uh, served his time, 
uh, he should be able to exercise that right of free uh, of expression and free speech. Uh, and if he's not on, on there doing anything illegal, I think it should be allowed. Let me ask you this. We say if you're convicted of a felony, you are not allowed to own a gun ever. We, we take your, you know, you, you can be off, you can be off parole, you can be, you know, released, you could have served all your time, you could be off of parole, you could be off of probation, but we say you're not allowed to have your Second Amendment right uh, of possessing a firearm. Is that different? Is this different than that? No, I think that needs to be changed as well. It's the same thing when it comes to voting, if you were convicted of a felon. Uh, all of those, once you serve your time and you're off of probation or parole, I think all of those rights should be reinstated. So including the right to do anything. Including, so including the, well, at least that's consistent. So including the right to carry a gun, you think once you've served your time, we should let people have guns again? I think it's their, their right at that point. They're, they're served their time. Okay, good enough. Thanks. Well, I, I mean, it, it, they, they've served their time, but of course, that, that's part of that's part of the penalty that comes with, with being a convicted felon. And see, that's the, the, the idea is it's not just, all right, you, you served your time. Yes, that, that's one condition. You, you go to jail, you serve your time in jail or in prison or whatever. You serve your time on probation. You pay your fine. But one of the other conditions of getting convicted under the law, one of the other penalties is, is that you lose, in some cases, the right to vote. In some cases, you lose the right to vote forever um, in some states. Or alternatively, you lose the right to carry a gun, or alternatively, you lose the right to be on Facebook. 414-799-1620. I've been following this interestingly because the real question is, Does have we gotten to a point where Facebook is such an integral part of American life that you essentially cannot exercise your First Amendment rights to free speech unless you're able to participate in this. Because the way the law works is you always have to come up with like the most least the least restrictive alternatives. It was very clear from the arguments yesterday that the court the court didn't like this law. The court thought that this law was unduly restrictive and that if you wanted to make sure that this guy who was on the sex offender registry didn't reoffend, there were all sorts of other things that you could do that would catch him or stop him from doing that in a fashion that would be a lot easier. I guess I see this as being different than saying to a felon, you you can't have a a gun. To me, once you have committed a crime, a felony, I think it is a reasonable restriction to say you should not be around firearms moving forward unless you get your rights restored for some reason. To me, that makes perfect sense. Honestly, if you're going to let the guy use the Internet – and you're going to let him troll the Internet, simply saying you can't be on Facebook, to me, doesn't accomplish a lot. I think that this law is overbroad, and this is one of those laws where I think you're going to see a very, very, even though we have a very, very divided Supreme Court with four liberal justices and four conservative justices, my guess is when the decision comes out a couple months from now, what you're going to see is that the uh, the law is going to be um, tossed out. So that's big thing number one. Big thing number two. The story out of Wauwatosa involving the fatal shooting of a Milwaukee man in a park last June. This is a very tragic story. It involves a man named Jay Anderson. And the facts, well, most of the facts aren't at issue. What happened is that Jay Anderson was 
um, in his car, a Wauwatosa police officer patrolling Madison Park in Wauwatosa um, about 3 a.m., um, and he's looking for after-hours loitering violations. So the park is closed. He sees a four-door car that's parked. He, the officer says it looks like somebody's moving inside the car. He goes up to the vehicle on foot. He's by himself at the time. He notifies dispatchers of his location. He roused the driver, told him to wake up. Um, during the conversation, he sees a handgun on the passenger seat. He then draws his service weapon and orders the man behind the wheel to raise his hands, not reach for the weapon. He also requested backup. Um, the man behind the wheel, turns out to be a guy named Jay Anderson, raised his hands, but at least four times started to lower his right arm while leaning towards the front passenger seat where the gun was located. Um, the Milwaukee Police Department investigation says Mr. Anderson suddenly lunged towards the gun with his right hand, Fearing for his safety, the officer discharged his weapon into the vehicle, and um, Jay Anderson w- was dead. State authorities have said no charges. Federal authorities have said no basis for criminal charges. The lawyer in connection with this is saying, well, maybe maybe we're going to consider bringing a civil rights lawsuit. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Toll and Text Line. All right, out in Madison situation where you had a police officer shot a guy that case just settled for 3.3 million does this one sound like the officer did something wrong and should Wauwatosa be getting ready to pay Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ all right um if you're just tuning in here's what we're discussing Federal authorities, federal officials, and local and state officials decided no criminal wrongdoing on the part of the Wauwatosa police officer who shot Jay Anderson last June. Facts are relatively straightforward. Three o'clock in the morning, the officer's on patrol. He's in Madison Park in Wauwatosa. The park is closed. He sees a car with somebody behind the wheel of the car, gets out of his vehicle, goes up to check on it. Turns out it's this guy named Jay Anderson. Anderson is behind the wheel of the car. I don't know if he's sleeping or what. Um, he, he was apparently intoxicated. The police officer sees a gun on the front seat of the car. Anderson legally is entitled to have the gun. The officer tells him, put his hands up in the air, don't reach for the gun. And Anderson, on a couple occasions, drops his hands towards the gun. Officer was afraid he was lunging for the gun. I don't know. I mean, but was was Anderson drunk? Was he having trouble just holding his hands up? I don't know. But under these circumstances, the officer fears for his life. He fires repeatedly at least six shots, shoots and kills Jay Anderson. State authorities found no basis for criminal charges against the officer. This was a justified shooting. Federal officials say no civil rights violations. Now um, it appears that there may be a lawsuit brought by the family. What do you think about the shooting? And again, different standard of proof to bring a civil lawsuit than a criminal case. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. Let's start with Bob in Plymouth. Bob, you're first. Good morning. Hi, how are you doing today? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Love the show. Well, what I think is if that individual can legally carry that weapon and was intoxicated, you cannot have a drop in you while you're carrying, Okay. Um, I work in the private security business, and I work closely with at times with law enforcement. Um, I have certain protocols I have to follow, 
Um, when people are intoxicated carrying a firearm, it, I believe it was justified. And as far as the uh, civil suit goes, in my opinion, that shouldn't even be brought up. Mm-hmm. We see so much on TV and the media, oh, he's such a great kid and this and that, blah, 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 and he would never do that. Well, the fact remains the individual was intoxicated, did reach for the weapon. Um, that, if I heard the story correctly, the officer did not have a body cam on him. Did That's not correct. have it at the time, right. There, there, okay. there's, video from, uh, there's video from the, um, from the, the squad, squad car camera, right? Okay. So, so you can kind of see... You can kind of see the the victim, Mr. Anderson, you know, going up and down in there, but you can't exactly see it. But I don't think. But I tell you about. I don't think there's any question about what what happened. I mean, my guess is he, he is there. I, he's probably groggy. He's probably had stuff to drink, and he's probably having trouble holding his hands up. Whether he was lunging for the gun, who knows? But the officer doesn't know that either. All the officer knows is I've got a guy who's in the park. He's not supposed to be here. I see a gun, and I'm telling him to keep his hands up, and he's not doing it. Yeah. Well, when I have. On occasion, I do have contact, and like I had stated before, I do work closely at times with law enforcement. We have to be very cautious with right. contact with the public, and a lot of people think they have the right, because you have a badge, to poke a bunch of holes in you, and you don't. A little respect goes a long way, sir, and I think this planet would be a much better place if more people would step up to the plate and say, you know what, hands up. Put your hands up, and well, right. I guess, Bob, this strikes me as as an unfortunate set of circumstances, and it and it it, it does. I mean, I I understand it's unfortunate that this this man w- was in the park after closing hours. That that is not. We don't have the death penalty for that. Um, and if he was legally intoxicated, like the reports say, okay, we we don't have the death penalty for that. This is an unfortunate set of circumstances, but I do try to put myself in the position of the police officer. Okay, you're on solo patrol. You you see, you're, you know, you're looking, okay, somebody's in the park after hours. Well, that's, that is not something that automatically signals, I need to call for backup. It's like, okay, what's going on? Is this, what's what's here? Is this kids? What, What do I have here? So you walk up to the car, and then once you get up to the car, you see the guy, you see the gun on the front seat of the car. Now, that immediately sets up all sorts of red flags. Then you have the, this relatively brief interaction. I don't know if the man behind the wheel of the car was lunging for the gun or whether he was just groggy or just waking up or intoxicated to the point that he was having trouble holding his hands up. I, I don't know. But the, in fairness, the officer doesn't know any of that either. And so you have this split-second type of decision. It is unfortunate. And it's one of the things that demonstrate, you know, how difficult it is to be a police officer nowadays. And I have no doubt if you I I have no doubt that this particular officer probably replays this 30 seconds or this minute of his life over and over and over again, wondering, you know, what could you have done differently? And are there things he could have done differently? Well, I guess, yes, in in retrospect, yeah. But these situations just escalate very, very quickly. And I guess I'm looking at this, and I understand we're coming on the heels of a $3.3 million settlement out in Madison last week for a police officer who did absolutely, absolutely nothing wrong, completely cleared by Dane County officials, completely cleared by federal officials, and yet the city of Madison decides that they're going to pay out $3.3 million because, well, for, for whatever reason. So I understand you've got this there. It is unfortunate that the man lost his life. It, it, genuinely, it genuinely is. But these are, this is what happens sometimes when you make a series of bad choices. Like, 
here, I'm going to drive around with, you know, a gun on the seat of the car, and I'm going to be in a park after hours, and I'm going to handle an interaction with the police like like this. Bob and Franklin. Bob, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Good. Well, I don't think the officer did anything wrong. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think at some point he was exercising tremendous restraint. I had to make a, a split-second decision uh, uh, whether or not the city should prepare to pay money. Uh, maybe they should. Uh, but, uh, again, uh, that'll be uh, a business decision, not unlike that which occurred in Madison. Uh, hopefully it's not $3.3 million. Yeah. And, and, and for, you know, Jeff, just for clarity, I, I hear a lot of people talk about these two-man patrols and how they – uh, they're say, and and statistically, there's nothing that confirms that or bears that out. Yeah, that there, that, it's, that it's going to be any sort of different. Yeah, I, I, right. I mean, the results are going to be different in this particular case. Like I say the officer. I don't. This demonstrates how tough it is again to be a police officer because you don't know what you're walking into. This was not the type of situation where I think the officer perceived that all of a sudden I'm going to be coming up with somebody who's got a gun and I might have to pull out my gun and get into these things. I, I, you come up to this thing, it's, hey, it's a car parked after hours in the park. I, I'm here to investigate, like, loitering charges and things like that. And next thing you know, in the matter of 30 seconds or a minute, the whole thing has um, escalated. Um, let's see. Courtney sends us a text on our Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I'm not sure of the shooting specifically, other than it seems it could have been reasonable. But every shooting involving the police will have suits. Uh, yeah, and then she goes on to make the point about the, the precedent being set by what happened in Madison. And I think there's no, there's, there's no question about it. Madison deciding to settle the suit involving that police officer, Matt Kenny, has, I think, now set a very interesting precedent moving forward as to you know, whether or not next time and every time there is a situation where a police officer has to use deadly force, regardless of whether or not there's a determination that is it justified or not, are there going to be lawsuits that inevitably follow? It is 918 coming up, our third big thing, and it is a big thing. President Trump gets ready to take on Obamacare and the most sticky aspect of it. We discuss. Stick around. It's 921, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Today is the day. Our very own, our newest radio duo takes the airwaves at noon. Steve Scafidi and Eric Bilstadt bring you the news of the day with discussions, perspective, and, of course, input from you. Don't miss the debut of Scafidi and Bill Stat. That is today at 12 noon. All right. President Trump is going to be talking to Congress tonight. One of the things that a lot of people are pushing is what happens with Obamacare? What happens with the Affordable Care Act? Republicans, for the course of the last six years, have been saying repeal, 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 and replace. Um, now that Republicans are in power, they are wrestling with a lot of the thorny issues of how to do that. There is no thornier issue than the exist the question of pre-existing conditions. Let's back into this. As part of an insurance pool, the way insurance works is you need, for health insurance, you need a whole bunch of healthy people in the insurance pool paying insurance premiums to cover a relatively small handful of people that end up getting sick and, and needing the, the coverage. So, I mean, that, that's the idea. For, for years and years and years and years and years, I, I, I've, 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 been health, I've had health insurance through my employer since I started working in my, you know, in my 20s. I, 
I don't know that with the exception of one year when I had my appendix out, I don't know that I ever met the deductibles and the minimums. I mean, so I paid into the system for decades. Last couple years, because of a catastrophic illness in my family, uh, we, we drew it out. But but the way insurance works is, you know, they're counting on the fact that there's only going to be a handful of people relatively that have these catastrophic conditions that you have to pay out. And mostly it's going to be healthy people paying in on the chance and the hope that you're not going to need it. And so you need a whole universe of healthy people paying in to cover the, the big claims. Well, the problem with universal coverage is what happens if only the really sick people, you know, sign up for the insurance? What happens if the healthy people choose not to do it? Or what happens if people make the decision to go uninsured until they get really sick and then they want to sign up? Well, the the system will fall, you know, it will collapse upon itself. And so that's the whole idea of pre-existing conditions. At the same time, you've got the whole issue of fairness. What about somebody who has been insured, has had continuous health insurance for 25 years, and suddenly they get sick, catastrophic illness, get a cancer diagnosis, or their spouse gets a cancer diagnosis, and then they lose their job? So you're looking at all this different treatment, but your coverage is going to be going away. All right, so how do you deal with that, and is it, in fact, fair? Well, under Obamacare, the law says that you, you have to have insurance, but the penalty for not having insurance is relatively small. Obamacare also says that you can sign up even if you have a pre-existing condition. Now, admittedly, you have to do it during one of the sign-up windows, but you could be uninsured. You could have been making a decision to be voluntarily uninsured for a good portion of your life. Then all of a sudden you get a diagnosis saying you've got I don't know, X type of cancer. And if you're in one of the windows, you can sign up and you're going to be covered. Well, that is that is not sustainable if people are going to be able to wait until they get sick to sign up. So on the one hand, you want to protect people for who, for example, lose their jobs. Um, and you want to make sure that they can still keep insurance if they've got pre-existing conditions. At the same time, you don't want people just to be able to sign up for insurance when they get a catastrophic illness because they, they will not have been contributing for decades and there's just not enough money. So here's one of the ideas that's being floated around. Republicans are talking about as a replacement for Obamacare. First of all, um, protection for pre-existing conditions would be would be kept. You couldn't be dropped because of a pre-existing condition. But there's a catch. You'd have to maintain continuous coverage for at least 18 months. So in other words, you'd have to be insured for at least a year and a half before you were able to, again, put in a claim for the pre-existing condition. If you weren't that way, what would happen is you could go into like a high-risk pool, and they've had these high-risk pools before. It's much more expensive, but it would still provide you with some form of coverage. But that would be the solution. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. Do we need to do away with Obamacare? And do we need to replace it with a more private-based system that puts an incentive on people getting and keeping insurance 
including healthy people getting and keeping insurance. 414-799-1620, Um, We're back to discuss next. Also, you can text us, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. It's 926. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Let's start with Dan and Oconomowoc. Dan, good morning. Well, you know what? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. This is a great topic. Um, I think it absolutely has to be dismantled 100%. I mean, that was the reason uh, when I talked to my representatives and we got Johnson in, that was one of the things I talked about. When we got Sensenbrenner back in, he said we needed the full suite. Now, we got the full suite. Uh, it's a complete disaster. About 15 years ago, I actually met with the vice president of Humana, and at the time, I believe it was Steve Foti in Oconomowoc. I don't know if you remember that name. And we sat down for about an hour and a half talking about a plan that I actually have that would actually help uh, reduce our costs, both for for medical uh, stuff, but you have to be a consumer in the medical industry. And 80% of the procedures today are are not emergencies. They're Mm non-life-threatening Um, uh, things. And so if people would start to, to basically become a consumer in the medical world, which is exactly the opposite of what the insurance companies and the government want, um, right. Then, stay out of right. Stay out of the emergency rooms. For example, right, right. you know, if unless it's a true emergency, you stay. Just set up an appointment with your doctor. Do it on a regular basis instead of rushing to an emergency room where the costs are going to be x exactly. number of times higher. So sure. Me, so let me ask you one question. I'm a I, I'm a business guy. I own a couple of businesses here in the state of Wisconsin. I've called my representatives to meet with somebody at Sensenbrenner's office, or uh, I've called uh, uh, the the new health and human services guy, Price. I've called their office to discuss my plan. How do I how do I actually break through that conversation to, to get an audience with some of these well, people? I'd be I'd be I mean Dan I think so I mean I'd be persistent I mean I, seriously I mean I, I'd be I'd be persistent I would show up at the town halls I would you know I I'd bring that out there because we're we're all trying to figure out what the best way to do this is I mean I understand the reality is Obamacare the Affordable Care Act you know provided insurance to a lot of people who otherwise did not have insurance, and they enjoy it. That, that's fine, but the system is going to collapse on itself unless we figure out ways to make it more affordable and more fair for, for everyone. We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Mary in Oak Creek. Mary, thanks for waiting. Good morning. Hi. Hi. I just wanted to, to, to discuss the idea of that 18 months um, waiting once you, you know, get onto the plan. Right. I... You know, they're talking, are they talking? Well, it's, it's not 18 months of waiting. It's saying that you have to be, you, you have to have maintained continuous insurance for 18 months in order to claim okay. for the pre-existing condition. The idea being okay. you can't not have insurance for 20 years, get a diagnosis of something serious, and then sign up for the insurance. Okay, I understand what they're saying. Because I have stage 4 breast cancer, and I have... You know, they're doing everything that they can do to possibly give me some time, which is right. basically all I'm going to get. But I'm taking, you know, my cancer pills are $969 yep. for one pill. Yep. I go in for shots. I come out at $15,000. Yep. I mean, there's no way that someone could do this without... But believe me, Mary, I I, 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 know you I, know. I understand. Believe me, I, I understand. So what... And you're, you're right. What is... 
Okay, so is insurance? So what isn't, is the answer? Do we just let these people die then if they don't well, have the? Well, no. I think the the answer. Well, first of all, I mean, I think the answer is what you want to do is you want to encourage people to engage in responsible right. behavior. You you want to encourage people to have insurance um, in the first place, and then mm-hmm. I, I guess, and then I mean, the alternative is for people who don't don't do that. You can put them in the high risk pools. Um, right, but you just. You know, Go ahead. And I, we were in that high risk pool when right. my husband and I. Okay, I'll tell you how this started out. My husband and I owned our own business, right? And so it was hard to find insurance because I had a couple of other problems sure. for that. So we went in the state high risk pool. It was wonderful. It was set up really, really well. Right. You know, it was a little more expensive than the other insurances, but I mean, we went into that and we paid because we knew we had to have insurance. And, right. And then Wisconsin dropped the high risk pool. So when they dropped that, my husband had to go into Obamacare, right. and I went into the. I was that was the time that I was in Social Security, so I automatically went into Medicare. And even though I'm way too young to be in Medicare, right. and um, my husband had no problems at all with his. Obamacare, none at all. He went through and, Molina, and he had no problems. And, and at you all. had no problems with your um, with the high risk pool when you were in there in the first I had place. No right? problems with the high risk pool. In fact, they had a nurse that called me um, mm-hmm. once every two weeks through the insurance company to check up on me and to make sure things were going right, and to call the doctor's offices and tell them that they're not doing things the way the risk pool wants them to be done. And she was, there, she was wonderful. And how, how long well ago? How, how long ago was your diagnosis, Mary? Six years. It oh. started out six years. Okay. I have been through. Yeah. I have been through everything in those six years. I've had pulmonary embolisms. Yeah. I've had them leave a sponge in me. Yeah. I've had. Um, I mean, yeah. I I've know. had everything. I've never been well. I've never had a, right. a sequence of being well in that whole time. Uh, and now I'm at the point of the the um, cancer has gone to my bones, yeah. and I'm not well, and it doesn't feel very nice. Yeah. And you know, it's sure it, you know it, what I'm talking about. Yeah, I believe me, a cancer but, cancer sucks. <laughs> There's just yeah, no doubt it about it. It does. And then to have it for six years. Do you know what I'm saying? Six years of this. Yeah. And I just keep thinking. You know, you. Now I don't think that, but I kept thinking, oh, it'll get better. I'll go into that remission stage right. that everybody talks about, and I never went into that. And so it's been just one of those things that we've lost. We've lost a ton of friends, and we've gained a ton of friends yeah. because I've found that a lot of people don't want to have anything to do with you when you have cancer because you're not fun anymore. Hmm. You can't go out. You can't do fun things anymore. And then I've got new friends. i got a dog, and I signed huh. up for a a dog list on Facebook, and I got people sending me money in the mail, cash. I got $50 cash in the mail. I, I, I got a dog, too, Mary. You know, I, got, I, I got a dog, too, and she's the, the light so of my life. Yeah. There's something about them, you know? Well, it, it is. Mary, um, yeah. God, best of luck. God, God bless you. I really, I just, you know, and that, and see, that's the thing. You, you have to, you have to be able to figure out a way to allow people like Mary um, who, who've done the right thing all their lives and who have maintained insurance um, and then have that catastrophic diagnosis, you can't cut them off. There, there's no question about it. But but the flip side is, you I, I, look, lots of young people, I understand, make the decision. Well, why? I, I'm healthy. I'm young. Why do I need insurance? I'm willing to take the, the risk. I, I'd rather 
pay my cell phone bill and I'd rather have cable TV and I'd rather do this or that or the other than send a few hundred dollars, you know, every two weeks out of a paycheck or or whatever to an insurance company for insurance that they don't think they're need. I, I they're gonna need. I understand that, but if we don't figure out a way to incentivize it, it for the, the people who are healthy to make those payments, the system is going to collapse on itself. When you have, if the only people who are drawing on the system are people who you know have been doing the right thing for their entire lives and then get that catastrophic diagnosis. Let's talk to uh, Brian and Sullivan. Brian, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Uh, glad to hear you in the morning. Thank you. I'm I, Other than getting up at 5 in the morning, I love everything about this shift. Yeah, yeah it's great. My question pretty much is, I've, I've listened to the radio over the years, of course, different talk shows, and uh, the big thing is they complained and complain about Obamacare. And they say it's because of the limitations and the limitations on doctors and, and things like this. However, the insurance companies have done this to their insurers for years, where they'll limit what they're going to pay. They'll limit what doctors they can see. They limit what hospitals they can go to. So I don't really see a big difference between that and Obamacare. Well, I, I, right. Oh, yes, in the market-based initiatives, you're right. I mean, thank, thank, thanks for calling, Brian. I mean, in the market-based initiatives, insurers... <sighs> For example, in, in Milwaukee, in, in southeastern Wisconsin, there's a couple big health systems. They compete with various insurers to, to be covered. And so you know, sometimes they'll, they'll offer deals. You know, um, you'll have healthcare system X that'll say, hey, if, you know, company, Hondo company, if you go with us, you know, you include us in your plan and you agree not to include one of our competitors, we'll give you special rates. So, You've always had, you know, that pressure that's going on with the insurance companies who are trying to cut deals with, uh, again, companies for for their business, and they're offering them these different incentives, and they're offering them lower premiums. And I believe me, I, I understand how frustrating that is. I remember years ago um, when we were still Journal Broadcast, one of the health systems that we used w- went away. It, it was it was going to be out of network, which forced everybody, including me, who was in it. To then, you know, go to, you know, an, another healthcare provider. So I understand that that type of stuff is frustrating and I understand that that stuff has been going on for a while. But, you know, the big picture is how do we end up controlling costs? How do we figure out how to protect people who want to do the right thing and want to have insurance? And a big step is this pre-existing, you know, condition type of thing, which I think is, is a good first step. Unfortunately, this happens all too often. And school officials, I am sympathetic, have to figure out how to deal with it. Yesterday morning, Whitewater High School in Whitewater was evacuated. Um, apparently what happened is they, they found a quote-unquote suspicious package on the tennis courts shortly before 8 a.m. Um, somebody who, there's apparently there's a walking path near the tennis courts. Somebody find, sees this package and, and they reports it, report it. Students were immediately moved to the school auditorium, and then they were bused um, to UW-Whitewater um, as as precautions. Um, the Whitewater Aquatic Center was also evacuated. Nearby residents were notified. They put everybody in buses, and so a lot of the kids are freaked out. They are scared. The teachers are, I think, frustrated with this. Officials say it was determined uh, that a door to the school was left open overnight prompting police to bring in a bomb-sniffing dog. 
So they, they go through, they check out the package. Um, nothing, nothing happens. It determines to be non-threatening. But by the time this has all taken place, it, it's a several-hour process. So they give the all-clear, but it, it, the all-clear isn't given until about one fifteen, and so classes end up being canceled for the remainder of the day. So this was a complete nothing burger, but but officials had to react in this fashion. So a package found out on a walkway essentially ends school for the day. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line and the Acunet uh, talk and text line. Again, 414-799-1620. All right, school officials essentially evacuate the school because they find th- this package. And... It leads to school being closed for the entire day. Did school officials overreact? How should you handle situations like this? Do you always exercise every possible caution, get rid of all the get all the kids, bus them away, and then cancel classes? Or is there a least a less restrictive alternative that could be done? We discuss next. 414-799-1620. Did Whitewater handle this appropriately yesterday? 952, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 954, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, Ryan text. We need to take every precaution possible in this type of situation. Missing one day of school is nothing in comparison to having the possibility of a bomb go off and injure hundreds of citizens and teachers. As the old adage goes, better safe than sorry. Mike in Bayview. Mike, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Thank you. I do think it's a complete overreaction. Yes, and I, I understand, you know, people want to exercise those precautions, but no, you know, I don't know who made the decision to think that that was a, a bond. I don't know what the package looked like. Right. I don't know what the size of that thing was. But it just seems to disrupt hundreds of people's days. Parents have to come and get kids, and, you know, you've got whitewater you know, the college has to then right. take in all the high school kids. So to me, it's just an overreaction. I think we need to use some common sense, have experts, you know, assess it, and then, you know, move on with, with the day and not evacuate the in, entire high school. I'd imagine it's pretty sizable. I don't know the size of it. So the idea being, what you would say, what they do is maybe seal the high school off, bring in the, the bomb-sniffing dogs or whatever, do whatever they do to determine whether or not the package is, in fact, a bomb or whether it's something just dangerous. somebody's laundry that somebody left on a trail or something like that. Sure, or some piece of trash, and then the kids get to go back to school. Now, so here's the that's problem. My, that's my thought. But, okay, well, thanks. But here, see, here, I, you know, I, I've been arguing this for years, and, and I do think that, in general, that there's kind of an overreaction that goes along with this. But, but what ends up happening is once parents hear about this see i think a lot of these decisions are parent driven because parents hear that there is a suspicious package they don't want their kids anywhere near that parents hear the fact that there's some threat that's scrawled on the wall of the men's room or the women's room or whatever and and the parents say okay we don't want our kids there we we you know we could never live we understand that it's probably nothing we understand that it's going to be a hoax, but we we want we don't want our kids in school. We want to pull them out. And my guess is, and again, it's just a guess, but it's kind of an educated guess based on what I've seen and happened in the past. Uh, I, I think if you were, for example, if they were to notify parents, let, let's say they do an email blast saying, we found a suspicious package, and we've also found that 
One of the doors to the school was left open overnight. We don't think there's anything to this, but you know we're bringing in the bomb sniffing dogs, whatever. I think if they did that and they gave, they gave the discretion, they left it up to the discretion of the parents. Do you want your kids sent home or not? My guess is that, um, my guess is 50, 60, 70% of the parents would say, let's bring the kids home. I mean, we don't want the kids there. So I think some of this, again, it's kind of market-based response. Now, I don't have a problem with what they did for a one-day basis. The problem becomes, what happens if this becomes a regular sort of thing? And you've seen that happen at some area schools, particularly as exams come up and the weather gets nicer. What happens if there you have people who just think this is fun, we're going to call in these bomb threats, and we're going to try to disrupt school on a multiple basis, multiple day basis. If that happens, I think the schools start to start drawing a line in the sand saying, we are not going to be held hostage to you know somebody who's getting their kicks out of making these type of calls. On a one-day type of thing, though, I'm very sympathetic to school officials because while I think everybody knew that this was not something serious. I think everybody probably knew in their head and in their heart that this was going to be just turn out to be what it was, which was a hoax or a non-story. At the same time, you, you do want to be safe, and so that's why you do these things. Would I have said that necessarily five years ago? No. But now we, we just have so many of these. I get why the schools have to do it. They are between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> I'm Jeff Wagner, so delighted to have you with us. We call this segment of the program Dealer's Choice. We do it this time every day. It's what I consider to be maybe not the most significant topic, but certainly a talkable topic that I am fascinated by and hope you will be as well. Sunday night was the Oscars, of course, and lots of people tuned in. There's no question about it. The ratings are in, though, and, well, while a lot of people watched. The numbers say 32.9 million viewers tuned in. 32.9 million is a lot of people. The numbers are down dramatically and part of an ongoing decline in numbers over the course of the last couple of years. Now, there's no secret that the, the TV viewing has become more, more segmented. You don't, you know, back in, back in the day, you, you'd have three major networks then there was a fourth major network, and the viewers were pretty much divided over those four networks. So you'd have these huge rating numbers. Well, well, now, with the advent of cable TV and satellite TV and all this other type of viewing that's there and all the things that you can watch on Netflix or through Amazon or whatever, you have it's much more fragmented, and people have much more choices. And so that's why, as a general rule, viewing of things tends to go down. But I don't think that necessarily explains what's happening with the Oscars. Um, for example, in 2013 and 2014, the Oscars reached about 40 million, actually more than 40 million viewers. In 2015, it dropped to 37.3 million. In 2016, it dropped to 34.3 million. And this year, it was down to um, 32.9 million. That is the lowest total since 2008. And a, a pretty significant drop-off. I mean, if you consider that just four years ago, they're pulling in over 40 million, if you essentially lose 20% of your audience over you know, the, the space of a couple of years, that tells you that something is going on. The, if you look at, actually, audio, at demographics as well, and some advertisers obsess with younger demographics, if you're over 50, in the minds of some advertisers, you don't count. 
doesn't matter that you have probably you're at a point in life where you have maybe more disposable income than ever, but but you don't count. But in the uh, 18 to 49 demo among adults, um, the show, for example, last year, this year averaged a 9.1 rating. Um, that's down from 14, uh, 14.0 in uh that's down 14% from a 10.5 rating the year before. So that's a substantial drop-off as well. I don't think you can doubt the fact that fewer and fewer people are, are watching, even though 32.9 million is a lot. Right, 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. You can send us text as well as call. I, I think something is going on here. I think there's two things. One is that this year, as in many years, there, there really wasn't there wasn't a movie, maybe with the exception of La La Land, but even that, a lot of people didn't see that. Uh, people just weren't familiar with the movies. There, there wasn't this big breakout movie. But, but I think the larger point is I think you can't separate the politics from this. I think that there are a lot of people out there who are just turned off by being lectured to by the Hollywood left. And who simply made the decision, you know, maybe I watched this thing in the past, but I, for the love of God, I don't want to see Meryl Streep again. I don't want to be lectured to by folks about the need for diversity or how awful Donald Trump is or how we need to be welcoming and open our borders to anybody. I think the reason that at least millions of people decided not to watch was because they were voting with their TV sets, they were voting with their remotes, just simply making a decision that they they didn't want to watch the political stuff. 414-799-1620 is the number. What do you think happened? Noah in West Bend. Noah, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. Love the show. Thank you. Uh, I, I do think you're right on one hand that I think a lot of people are just tired of hearing Hollywood constantly preach at us about what we should think. Right. Um, well, we all know they're completely detached from reality. Um, at the same time, I do think part of it is the generations coming up, and even the generation that I'm in, I'm, a, I'm 30 years old, um, but I think to a great extent the, the whole idea of awards in general, has kind of been castrated. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of a word well, well, in our but, society because we give out awards for everything to everyone. Yeah, and I, so, I understand. Right, I get that. But at the same time, I, I would imagine there's lots of millennials, for example, who are um, into the whole TMZ thing and stuff. Who, who would be tuning in because they want to see they want to see what the stars are looking like or, you know, what's, what's Ryan Gosling wearing or what's Emma Stone and wearing and, and stuff sure like that. I'm sure there's some of that. Like you said, 39-some million people watched it. I right. mean, there are still viewers out there. But I think, by and large, younger generations don't – we just don't care about the awards like the awards. Much. No, I mean, I think, no, no, th- I, I think there, there's probably something to that. I guess, like I say, though, my question would be is the fascination that people have with celebrity, the, the whole celebrity culture that we have – would that outweigh it? But, I mean, obviously, in that 18- to 49-year-old demographic, they're losing a lot of people, too. So it could be that. I still think I think there's a backlash to the politics of, of this because we are a divided country. I mean, I understand if you look at some of the stuff in the mainstream media, you get this idea that everybody hates Donald Trump, that we are united on wanting open borders, and that this is just this outlier that's there. I, I don't think, again, that reflects where mainstream America is. We, we have lots of people who don't like what President Trump is doing, 
But there's a lot of people who do, and they don't want to be lectured to, and they don't want to be told that they're that they're racist or they're Islamophobic because they, they think maybe we should have some restrictions on people coming into this country. Uh, Jeff in Wauwatosa. Jeff, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. I only caught the last hour, and it had a much less priority because I expected a lot of preaching and a lot of pretentiousness, and I remembered about Leo's political right. like environmental speech the year before, right. and then the director of The Revenant preaching about other stuff, and I just had, had very little interest in it. And then it got to the point where it was like, 10 o'clock and there's like nothing else on. So I, except yeah. for local news. So. Yeah. And you want to watch and you want to see the big awards just because you want to see the big awards. <laughs> yeah. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Why do you think the numbers went down? I mean, cause they, they have gone down dramatically. I think it's a combination of, of, of others, a lot of other stuff being on before 10 o'clock as well as the pretentiousness yeah. and the, and the, uh, like the preaching. Like yeah. I did catch Viola Davis's speech and I thought it was so, arrogant and pretentious i just turned it off right really away. I, I mean that, that that was she was that was the she was tearful i think so i mean i watched that I, I i don't know that i guess that one that didn't bother me because that was so heartfelt i guess that didn't bother me as much as as some of the slide and some of the things some of the like sly asides and stuff like that did but i mean i think this is something i think this is something that abc and the oscars have to figure out you know how you're going to deal with but i do think I think it is this backlash. I understand that there's some people who think that there's this uniformity. Everybody feels the same way. Um, I don't. I don't believe that that is not that that is necessarily the case. Um, let's see. We got some of our texts. Agree with you 100. percent I don't watch because it's not entertaining anymore. It's just more political garbage. I'm 42. I used to watch these shows. Um, I'm sick of the way it's all communicated. That's from Ryan in Appleton. It's 1017, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1020, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Could the funding of public safety in your community end up on the ballot one day soon? Scafidi and Billstead have the information, and the answer might surprise you. Don't miss their discussion today at 1235. Um, we, we actually rolled this out yesterday, and I'm glad to see so many people taking advantage of it. Um, we now have the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's the, it's the one we've always used, 414-799-1620. But in addition to calling up, you can now text, and they all pop up on one of these many computer screens that I'm looking at. Um, let's see a couple other notes. Tom writes, you're right about the Oscars. The constant preaching and self-importance um, has driven me away. Uh, another text, I think the Oscar folks should consider there might have been a fair amount of folks who didn't watch because of people using the opportunity to express their political aspirations. I'm not interested in that. I wanted to watch these program award ceremonies um, for entertainment, to escape the political infusion. Um, yeah, I think there is something to that. So, again, participate in our text line as well. They show up here. Also. WTMJ.com. You'll have see a section for our mobile app. We podcast my show. We podcast Sports Central. And we do um, also podcast a number of voices that you don't hear on the radio. And I know a lot of people download that, and I certainly appreciate it. So we're in the 21st century here. I mean, podcasts and text messaging and all this different type of stuff. Facebook Live. We live stream a lot of stuff. We try to make it as easy as possible for you to express your opinions and communicate. I, I lump this next story under... The category of adding insult to injury. As we discussed last week, I think it is nothing short of outrageous. Outrageous. 
that the city of Madison decided to settle a lawsuit brought by the family of a 19-year-old man named Tony Robinson against the city of Madison and the police department. This was the story about how Tony Robinson, 19 years old, was apparently high on whatever, had run out into the streets outside his apartment, had assaulted people, and then was back up in his apartment. Madison police officer gets a call to respond to a disturbance. The police officer is a guy named Matt Kenny, who by all accounts is a really, really, really good police officer. This is Look, I, I understand I'm accused from time to time of being overly defensive of police officers. I understand there's bad co- cops. This is not one of those bad cops. So he's on patrol by himself. He gets this notice to respond to this call. Again, you know that you're responding to a call about somebody who's been engaged in assaultive behavior. He's going into the apartment. He's going up a stairwell um, where he hears there is a disturbance. The young man, who is, again, high on Lord knows what, comes charging down the stairwell and apparently assaults the, the officer. Officer pulls out his gun and shoots and kills him. It is unfortunate. It is tragic. Lengthy investigation by authorities, both the federal authorities and state authorities decide there are no ba- there's no basis at all to believe that the officer has done anything wrong. Unfortunate that the 19-year-old kid is dead. And, of course, the knee-jerk reaction in Madison is you have a lot of the usual suspects who take to the streets. I remember there was one person who made this absolutely idiotic statement about how you know, we don't want the police in, in certain communities. Yeah, lady, you just watch what happens to some communities if you don't have the cops in there trying to keep some semblance of order. Well, anyhow, despite the fact that there's been a finding that the officer did not violate any civil rights, um, did not violate the law, the family sues and the insurers in the city of Madison settle paying the family $3.3 million. Cops are absolutely outraged, and, and appropriately so, because this says out in Madison, the city will not back you up. You can do everything absolutely right, but the city will cave into the forces of political correctness. So lot, how you're going to recruit to find cops in Madison nowadays is absolutely beyond me. But anyhow, that, so that's the, that is the outrage. So what is the insult? This is a really good police officer. And now, where, where does he go to get his reputation back? Because the city of Madison has pulled the rug out from under him. Well, the city of Madison is now announcing that this police officer is not going to be, is not going to be going back on, on active patrol. Rather, um, they're going to pull him off the streets. He's going to continue his duties in the department's training program and horse-mounted patrol. Um, the police chief is okay with that, and apparently the officer is okay with it because the officer recognizes if he were back out on the streets, he would suddenly become a target. But but here's the insult. Here you have a police officer, a good cop, who did absolutely everything right. The city of Madison ends up paying $3.3 million to the family of the guy that assaulted the police officer, and now the police officer effectively from a law enforcement perspective can he do stuff yeah but my guess is he loved being out on the street he can no longer be back out on the street because of the reaction it would get from again a lot of the usual suspects and that is adding insult to injury it's 1025 jeff wagner 620 wtmj Ten twenty-seven, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. The Bucks start a three-game homestand tomorrow against the Denver Nuggets. We've got the broadcast live from the BMO Harris Bradley Center. Our coverage starts with Buck shots at six forty tomorrow night. 
Hondo, who's producing the show today and always. I continue to believe it's the curse of Ray Allen. Did you see yesterday? Okay, first of all, um, earlier, a couple weeks ago, the Bucks lose young superstar Jabari Parker, his second catastrophic knee injury in the space of three years. And, and even though he's young, you got to wonder, after you've damaged the same knee that badly twice in a row, what what are you going to do? I mean, it's, will you ever be able to come back and be the same player? You know, what does that say? And it would be just an absolute, it would be just incredible, an incredible loss and uh, just a tragedy, quite candidly, if this young man, you know, isn't able to return to his form. But, I mean, two catastrophic knee injuries in the space of a couple of years says something. And then last night, you've got Michael Beasley, who was a prolific scorer, was there. to Now he's going to get a bunch of playing time. Um, he's out. They haven't announced what it is. Doug Russell was saying it's a gruesome knee injury. Uh, the initial thing was, well, it, it's a sprain, which um, we'll, we'll wait, and you, you certainly hope for the best. But it looks like looks like the Bucks have suffered another sort of catastrophic injury. And I again, I think I I consider this whole thing to be the curse of Ray Allen. If you just ever since they traded Ray Allen, this team has been snake bit. That one year, a few years back where it looked like they were going to make a run to the playoffs. You had Andrew Bogut, and he goes up and, you know, catastrophic leg injury takes him out, and then the playoff hopes don't materialize. You, you hope that, you know, maybe what they need is they need an exorcist. I think, see, for, forget the new arena. I, you know, forget all the new concessions. Forget the, you know, lottery picks in the draft. What they need to start to do is they need to bring in, I don't know if it's a witch doctor or an exorcist or whatever, or, or maybe a witch doctor and an exorcist and a, a psychic and a faith healer and everybody and try to figure out a way to exercise the ghost of Ray Allen that I think continues to haunt them. Coming up right after the news, $15 an hour, what will it really mean? We've seen the future, and then she's under fire for saying, punch him in the face. 34, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I have a confession. I, I, um, my brother inherited this roller coaster gene from somewhere. We, we don't know where he got it. My, my parents weren't roller coaster people. Um, I inherited the, the racetrack gene from my mom. And they're just, my, my mom, my mom loved gambling. She always kept it, it was a problem gambling, but she just, she loved going to play bingo and stuff. And I, I can remember as a kid going to racetracks with, with my mother. I, and so I, Ever since I'm old enough to remember, I, I can remember going to racetracks. And I'm not talking about auto racing. I'm talking about horse tracks and dog tracks and things like that. And that that has stayed with me as, as I have gone through through life. I was down at Arlington Park uh, a couple years ago. And I remember I was struck by normally 10 years ago when you would walk into a racetrack, there would be window after window after window. And behind, the, at the win- windows, would be race writers, t- tellers that would take your bets. And I remember when I walked into Arlington a couple years back, I was struck by the fact that there were literally only, I, I want to say a half dozen people who were working as tellers, actual people behind the counter. Now, that didn't mean that people weren't there to make bets, but what they had is they had row after row after row of machines, where you would put in your voucher, you would put in your money, and, and you would place your bet. It was all automated. You did not need to deal with a, a person. And so people j- just didn't. And so I presume those jobs j- just went away because more and more it was automated. I, I think particularly when it comes nowadays to younger people, you're, you're more 
familiar with the technology that's there. Everybody's used to. You got the stuff on your phones now. You got the apps that you can just you know punch a button and the stuff is all taken care of. The need to interact with human beings in these business transaction settings isn't isn't there anymore. And like I say, more and more people are more and more comfortable with just doing stuff without interacting. Now I was thinking about this as I saw this story from from Wendy's yesterday. Now. Wendy's is, of course, one of the nation's largest fast food chains. And Wendy's, together with a number of the other, you know, burger doodles that are out there, have been under constant pressure to increase their minimum wage to $15. You know, seems like three, four, five times a year you have the usual suspects that show up and they're protesting outside of a McDonald's demanding $15 an hour for, for the stuff. The, the jobs they perform aren't worth $15 an hour. They're just not in a free market. But the argument is you can't live. It's not a living wage if you, you know, if you can't, if you're not paying somebody $15 an hour. So that's what you have to, that's what you have to do. You know, even if a person has limited skills, the job's only worth eight or nine or $10 an hour, you got to pay 15. Well, what Wendy's announced yesterday is that they are going to be installing self ordering kiosks in over 1,000 of their stores. That's 16% of all their locations nationwide. You know, what they say is last year was tough. 5% wage inflation. And this is even before the $15 an hour thing. And um, they said, look, we we expect that wages are going to rise another 4% in 2017. And the real question is, what are we doing with this? So Wendy's, says we figured out how to eliminate 31 hours of labor per week from our restaurants, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to roll out this automated technology. We're going to have kiosks, and the kiosks are particularly intended to appeal to younger customers and to reduce labor costs. So, you know, what happens is you don't have to wait in line. You you don't go in and stand, you know, six deep at lunch hour to order whatever you're going to order from Wendy's. You just go up to one of the kiosks, you know, you punch in what you want, it gives you the order number, and then I guess they're going to work it different ways. Somebody yells, order 31 is done, or you see it on a board or whatever. But you do not need to interact with with people. And presumably you pay for it with credit cards. So we've talked about on this show, um, very few people, I happen to be one of the dinosaurs, but very few people use cash for stuff like that. So if you don't want to wait in line, you can just go up to the kiosk. You don't have to deal with a person. You put in your credit card, you put in your debit card, you put in your gift card, you punch what you want, you get it your way, and then then what happens is then you just go pick it up. You don't need anywhere near as many people behind the counter. Now, it's not going to, just like the racetrack, didn't eliminate everybody, didn't eliminate all the tellers, but it got rid of a lot of them. 414-799-1620. 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. Again, the Accident Mortgage talk and text line, 414-799-1620. Here's the question. Um, is this the wave of the future? And would you use one of these kiosks as opposed to having to interact with a person? Is this going to be the wave of the future? Will more businesses start to do this, whether it's in fast food or otherwise, as a way of saving dough? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I personally, I think this is number one inevitable. And number two, I think 
that the more people push for raising the salaries for minimum wage workers, the more you hear this push for $15 an hour, the more likely it is that you're going to see more and more of this automation because as labor costs continue to rise, it gives the companies more and more incentive to say, okay, all right, let's just let's pay to automate the thing, and then once we get that in, the system is going to be done. 414-799-1620. It's 1041. We're back to discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1044, Jeff Wagner, 620 WPMJ. Okay, here's the way it works. Wendy says that they anticipate they're going to have these self-ordering kiosks in about a 1,000 of their stores. That's 16% of the locations nationwide by the end of the year. Um, a typical store would get three kiosks, costs about fifteen grand, and they estimate that the payback on those machines is less than two years thanks to labor savings and increased sales. So obviously you buy one of these things, you've got the initial investment, but but pretty soon it pays for itself. Is this the wave of the future? Let's start with uh, Rick in Muskego. Rick, you're first. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Rick. Good. Um, this past fall, I had the pleasure of uh, taking a vacation to Italy, mm-hmm. and in Florence, the McDonald's there has these kiosks. Now, see, Rick, i got to stop you for a minute. You were in Florence, and you went into a McDonald's? It was late at night. Okay, was, all right. I was, you know, beer munch. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. All right, fair, fair, I, I, just fair enough, because one of the great, great eating places in the world, and okay, but I got it. I'm sorry. I'm, I, I was making fun. Okay, you go in, so they have these kiosks. Okay. <laughs> So we walked, uh, my friend and I, uh, it was late at night, there was the only restaurant open, we walked in, and the place was packed, um, they had these kiosks all over, um, relatively easy to um, maneuver, the great part about it is they're bilingual, so you, you know, multilingual sure. actually, so you just type in what language you want it, it shows, they had uh, a couple cooks behind the counter, and one person that was responsible for when your order came up handing it out to you. Um, they right. were fine. I mean, actually, I think I got through there quicker than if I would have, uh, if they would have had people at the counter. Well, sure, especially if it was crowded. So do, do you think, and obviously there's a little bit of a learning curve, but do you think America's ready for that? I Actually, yeah, I do. I mean, you look at how many things are becoming self-service from over the years, you know, from ATMs. Right. People thought ATMs would never have taken off back, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Right. Um, and they're prolific everywhere now, gas pumps. Um, it's, I've said this for a long time. I do a lot of work with um, a major uh, uh, fast food chain in the, in the Midwest, and uh, you know, ever since I've heard these you know outrageous screams for fifteen dollars right. an hour for what's supposed to be a high school part time job, um, I've, I've predicted that this was coming, and the fact that here it's coming now doesn't shock me at all. Yeah, no, thanks. For, and and it's going to come faster. The, the more the more labor costs increase. I mean, if if you want to talk about a job killer. That that's that's what fifteen dollars an hour is in the fast food industry because it okay if right now without fifteen dollars an hour if the payback for getting these kiosks is is two years you you double your labor cost or you increase your labor cost by you know fifty percent or whatever that payback period shrinks that's how businesses are going to respond especially since I think that's what a lot of consumers like like I said I, I go to the track and I I see people they're they're using the the machines now some people like the human interaction, and still go to the windows. But in general, the more people become familiar with these machines and comfortable with them, and we're already seeing that, and especially since it's a generational thing. Um, let's talk to Chuck in Plymouth. Chuck, good morning. Hi. Uh, yeah, um, I've been going to uh, Panera Bread, and they've been using self-serve kiosks for um, maybe two years already. Right. 
Um, they're also bilingual. You can just tap on what language you want. Sure. Um, it even saves your last order if you're interested in um, reordering that same item. Oh. Comes up, yeah, slide your card through, um, gives you the uh, vibrating little, you put in a, a transponder number and it, right. it, it, it tests it, tests it, gives it, you know, pick it up, you grab whatever utensils you need, you walk over and right. just so, like any other, anything else. And it really works, it really works fine. Right. So you've essentially been able to eliminate at least a couple of the, the cashiers or the people that are taking your orders, and you just you know, you know just wait, the thing buzzes, and you go pick up the food. Yeah, while other people are staying in line at the register, I am already ordered. I walk up, and within you know half a minute, minute, your food's ready. Right, and, you know, and of course you know what the next step is going to be, and I'm sure some places already have it. It's going to be the app that when you're pulling into the parking lot or you're five or ten minutes away or whatever – You'll be able to order that, so it's there waiting right, for while, you again. While you're yeah. waiting. Yep, yeah. Yep. No, I mean, it, I, I, I would think so. It's the wave of the future. I mean, th- thanks. I mean that that that's that is, I think, inevitably where we are going, and it's one of the unintended consequences of people who are pushing for raises in in salaries. Well, okay, fine. You raise the salary; those jobs you think that they're not going to go away. Let's talk to Dan in Wausau. Dan, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Is this the wave of the future? I think it is. Um, it was interesting, though. There was about two or three cars behind me yesterday at the subway, and it was my first time to actually use one of those. Okay. At the through a drive-through, actually. So imagine that in a drive-through, you punch it in, and then you go to the window to pick it up. Um, I imagine that would probably back some of the traffic up at first, especially if people are first learning. Got to be a learning curve to that too. I would imagine. Oh, did you um, did you have trouble using the, the using the punch in thing, or did it work okay? Initially, I wasn't sure what to do, and then right. I saw a place to put your, your credit card. So I put the credit card in, and then finally the screen showed up. Right. To do. Yeah. Now I'm sure. Again, I'm sure there's a bit of a learning curve with this, just like there is with everything. But once I think once people get comfortable with these things, that that's what you're going to see. And this and this is the future. I mean, I, I'll give you another example. Okay, movie theaters. It. I've gone to a couple movies lately, and it used to be that. You would, you would go, the way you would buy tickets to the movie is you would show up at the box office, you would stand in line, you would go up, you would tell the, the person behind the counter what, what show you wanted, you would give them the money. Well, nowadays, with all the online stuff, I mean, I, what was the movie I saw, the, the new John Wick movie a couple of weeks ago? And so I, I, I go online, I see the, the seating arrangement, I pick the seats we wanted, I order the thing. I show up at the movie theater with my credit card. I run it in the machine. It spits out the three tickets, and then we go in. I, I didn't interact with you know any. Now they have they they had a cashier. They had two cashiers, but there weren't too many people at that ca- the, the cash thing because again you could use you could use these tickets. I'm not saying you had to, and I don't think that you're ever going to get to a point, at least any time in the foreseeable future. I don't think you're going to get to a point where we completely eliminate. The, the ticket taker, or we completely eliminate the, the cashier. And even with what, what Wendy's is saying is that they'll still give people the option of, of ordering in person. There'll still be a person there. But just like in the banking industry, I have no doubt that a lot, there's they're still tellers and there's still things that you need to do to interact with tellers. But with the advent of ATMs, um, banks used to be a lot more crowded on Saturday mornings. You know, people going in and cashing checks. Now you don't have to, as a general rule, go interact with a teller. You can just go to the ATM, take out the, the money. You can do all this stuff in an automatic fashion. And there is a learning curve, but people catch on to it. 
Ken in Mequon. Ken, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, I'm one of those old dinosaurs, but uh, I found it to be very helpful. I go out to L.A. about four times a year to take care of my, my uncle. And uh, in the car rentals, the uh, car rental mm-hmm. I chose was the one with the kiosk, which got me on my way the fastest. It took a little while to learn about it, but yeah. uh, it worked well. And what was nice is they had somebody there to assist you in case you had trouble uh, with it to kind of get you on board. Same thing with the airport. Uh, you get your boarding pass. Yeah, ahead of time, and uh, that seems to be the wave of the future. I mean, your airport—a great example of that. I mean, I can't remember since I rarely check bags. I can't remember the last time I stood in line to, to get a ticket. It's the same thing. You you you, get, you sign up for the pre-boarding. You know, you go on, you register, you print out your boarding pass, or if you don't have access to that, you still you show up. You go up to one of the kiosks. Again, if if you don't need to check a bag, there, there's really no need to interact. And now I guess they've got it so that you can even check a bag and not have to interact. Yeah, it's just it is the wave of the future. And the more people I think do it and get used to it, the more you're going to see businesses go to this. And and a lot of these old models just they don't work anymore. They're not going to be practical anymore. But there's nothing's perfect. Uh, one night I went into Taco Bell uh, for school, and um, they, they said, uh, sir, we can't serve you. I says, well, why not? He says, well, our computers are done. Yeah. So I says, well, what are you going to do with all the food? Well, we're going to throw it all away, but we can't process right. anything because our system is done. So that's right. one of the vulnerabilities of, of going through it. So what's nice is having a dual system with people and, and computers. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And I think that's why you're always going to see, like like what I say, Wendy says, you, you're still going to have the counter option. You know, you can still order at the counter. But my guess is if they used to have four people manning the counter they're going to have two. If they used to have three, they're, they're going to have one, especially as more and more people get familiar with this. So for everybody that's out there pushing a $15 an hour minimum wage, just be careful what you're pushing because there is this law of unintended consequences. It's 1054, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up next, be careful what you say. It could get you in trouble. It's 1057, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Starting yesterday, we, we rolled out our Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, which is 414-799-1620, the, the typical call-in number. But we are actually being swamped by people who are actually texting as well. I think it is so cool. For example, uh, Joe writes, we're talking about minimum wage, I own a bowling center in western Wisconsin, and I'm already updating my scoring system to allow customers to order from the lanes. I'm doing this ahead of any minimum wage hike. I want my customers getting used to ordering from terminals now. A $15 minimum wage would close me, so I'm trying to do something about it. Yeah, that's, that is that is just kind of the reality. And again, I, it sounds nice, pay $15 an hour. But the truth is there's a lot of, of businesses that if you increase their labor costs like that, they're, they're, they're going to have to raise their prices. And the concern is if they raise their prices – Okay, well, let's talk about the bowling industry. I mean, it's a challenging industry now. If you if your labor costs go up thirty or thirty five percent, you've got to pass that on to your consumers. Um, that's that's an issue. Um, okay, this is this is my favorite text of the day. Joy from South Milwaukee. Jane Matnair, listen to this. This is our text. Okay, this is it. Joy from South Milwaukee. Jeff Wagner, you are the bomb of talk show hosts. Been listening to your show for a long time. So see, that's. That, that's it. That's good. Being the bomb is something good, right? Yes, that is good. That's good. Now, that's in contrast. Every once in a while, I'll run into somebody who will say, I, I, you know, I, I, I listen to your show all the time, and I'll say, thank you. That's very kind of you. And they'll say, well, don't thank me. I think you suck. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and, and, and then, see, I, I, get, I get the, the I suck part, 
But then they always want to tell you why. You know, it's just like, okay, let me elaborate. Right, right. Yeah, let, let me tell you why this is. So, okay, I'd, I'd much rather be the bomb. <laughs> it's like it is. It's like they want to kind of go into details, and I'm like, okay, that's that's fine. But you're still listening, anyways. So we appreciate that. Um, anyways, this is our no way to communicate with us, and it's going to be a big part of the show moving forward. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, together with our podcasts that are downloadable, all sorts of stuff. All right, coming up in the next hour. Barack Obama refuses to go away. She's in trouble for saying punch them in the face and lots more. Stick around. I'm Jeff Wagner. It's 1108. So, Jane, it's the little things in life that amuse me. You know, it's, sometimes it's, it's the little stuff. Sure. Okay. So th- this just happened about five minutes ago. I, while you're doing the news, I, I walk out of the studio. I walk across the, the hall into, you know, where a, we, we call it AM programming. It's like pod town. It's where everybody's pods are. Sure. And... It's also where the, everybody has their mail slots. And what happens, the way it works here at TMJ, is the mail comes into the mail room, and Jim will get it all assembled and put it in like a little mail bin and, and bring it there. And I don't know if anybody's supposed to sort through it or not, but a lot of times it just kind of sits in the bin. So if you're looking for your mail, you, you go through your mail, right? And you're looking for stuff. So there, there's a bunch of stuff in, in the bin. So I'm kind of going through it, and there's a bunch of letters addressed to me. And then and, and it's all mixed in. you know. So everybody's there. And I see this thing from Playboy magazine addressed to one of our colleagues. Oh. And it's like a magazine. And I'm like, oh, I, I think, okay, w- would they be getting Playboy delivered to, this, 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 this can't be Playboy. So I just kind of, I, I sort of open the, the cellophane thing. Yes, Playboy magazine being really? delivered. Yeah, absolutely. Right, right. Yeah, you want me to say, now you, and by the way, you would never guess which of our colleagues was getting Playboy magazine delivered to the office. No, I'm, I'm not... I'm not. I'm not going to give him up. But see, that's now the guessing game. Which of our colleagues would be getting Playboy magazine sent to the, the least office? likely? You say. Well, it, it wouldn't have been one of the usual suspects. I mean, you know, if it was. <laughs> see, you're going to get me in trouble. You know, it's like, <laughs> he's, he's he's reading it for the articles. Jeff. Well, I'm, I'm I'm sure that is. But I'm thinking, oh, that's that's well, you know, we used to get like Milwaukee magazine that we sent here, and that would kind of get passed around the office. I, why do I think that Playboy isn't going to be doing that? But it was it was sort of oh, there's. There's, boy, we're getting Playboy magazine delivered huh. to the office. Huh. That's what I thought, too. I may have to expand my magazine. <laughs> I, I, I thought, no, and it wasn't you. It, it, was, it, was, it was not Jade, and it was not Hondo. So, okay, we're we're completely clear. You guys, and it wasn't me. So that was it. Just just saying, you just never know what you're going to find in the mail bin. Um, but, right, I'm sure we're reading it for the articles. <clears throat> All right. Just an interesting diversion. Kim Mulcahy is a very successful women's basketball coach at Baylor University in Texas. Baylor University has been embroiled in a big time scandal. The men's football the, the boy the men's football program has been involved in this sexual assault scandal which cost the ex-football coach his job and many others their job. So Baylor has been under fire. So here's what happens. Um this woman, her name again, Kim Mulkey. She's the she's the basket, the women's basketball coach. She just won her 500th career game at Baylor. Big accomplishment. So after the game, they kind of have like a little ceremony on the court. It's a home game, and she comes out and she addresses the crowd. So you know she's talking about you know her life at Baylor and the great career and things like that. And she decides that she is going to respond to some of the criticism of of Baylor. So here's what she says. 
She says, if somebody around come, if somebody comes around you and they say, I would never send my daughter to Baylor, you knock them right in the face because these kids are on this campus. I work here. My daughter went to school here and it's the damn best school in America. So if somebody come, if somebody comes around you and says, I would never send my daughter to Baylor, you knock them right in the face because these kids are on this campus. I work here. My daughter went to school here and it's the best damn school in America. All right. So that's what she says. As soon as she says this, the Twitterverse explodes. How dare this woman say you, you punch them in the face, you knock them right in the face. She, you know, if you know, she is advocating violence by suggesting that if somebody comes up and criticizes this school, the way you respond is to punch them or knock them in the face. She says, I wasn't being literal. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Now, I admit I'm somewhat sensitive to this sort of thing because every once in a while I will be talking about something and I will say, you know, what you really need to do is go knock somebody upside the head or something like that. And I, I always try to remember to throw in the phrase, figuratively speaking, go knock somebody upside the head. I'm not really encouraging people to act out and behave in a violent fashion. And I guess I assume that most people just understand that this is a figure of speech. This woman, though, is getting brutal criticism, including some calls for her to resign for advocating violence. That if somebody comes up and says something bad about um, Baylor, she said, punch them in the face or knock them right in the face. Is this an overreaction or does she need, should she have been more careful with her language? And could reasonable people interpret what she said as being a call to violence? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right. Is this woman getting a bad rap or should everybody know what, what she meant? That she wasn't speaking literally, go knock them in the face. She was just using that as a gesture of speech. Would reasonable people, reasonable people interpret this as a call to violence against any critics of Baylor? We discuss next. It's 1114, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1117, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Looking at our Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's see. Somebody writes, I have been saying that I want to punch the microphone dropper from the Verizon commercial in the face. Yeah, that is an annoying commercial. But I would not actually do it if I saw him in the grocery store or something. Uh, Jim writes, we have seriously lost all form of common sense and the ability to recognize a, a metaphor. Yeah, that's see, that's the frustrating thing, that when people want to be taken literally they choose to take stuff literally and like i say my my example is you want to just go slap somebody upside the head well i'm not really going to go and actually slap them upside the head nor am i encouraging people to slap them upside the head but the reality is you you have everybody now who wants to be hyper literal when it comes to stuff so this baylor coach i mean all right she's obviously frustrated she's doesn't like people running down her school she's sick of people getting in her face and suggesting that Baylor must be this terrible place to go. And so she says, I want him to punch him in the face. That, that's, that's what you do. She is not encouraging you to actually ball up your fist and commit an assault. Um, she is just simply saying that, hey, you know, push back. Don't be pushed around. This is a good place to be, and you should be proud of this university. 
And that's that's all this is. All right. Generally speaking, when presidents leave the White House, they leave the White House. They do not actively continue to be involved in politics. They do not actively seek to undermine their um, their successors. And I think, I mean, this is this is a pattern that that goes back for the longest time. Um, when when the first president Bush left the White House, he was, I think, as gracious as possible towards Bill Clinton. He did not criticize Bill Clinton. Um, that just that that was not something that was done. To Bill Clinton's credit, while Bill Clinton was, I, I think, a force in doing certain things. He was not actively involved on a day-to-day basis in politics. He was not running around the country or running around the world denouncing the second President Bush's foreign policy and I, I, and domestic policy. And I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that what George W. was doing that Bill Clinton didn't like. But Clinton, he, he, didn't, he did not set himself up as sort of the opposition party in, in waiting. He was quiet, and he went about his foundation getting on with the business of his life. Similarly, um, President Bush, when he stepped down, when you know his eight years were over, you heard almost nothing from him regarding politics. No critique of the Affordable Care Act, no critique of Barack Obama's dealings with, you know, world leaders. It was just, okay, I've had my time as the president and now I'm going to I'm going to fade into the background. I'm going to do whatever it is that ex-presidents end up doing. And that has been the tradition, at least up until now. Now, Barack Obama signaled that when, before he was out of the White House, he said, well, I'm going to be leaving the White House, but I'm not going to give up my right to speak out on, on issues that, in fact, concern me, or if I think constitutional matters are are being you know, questioned. Well, all right, he, he's back. Here's the story. Former President Obama and other top Democrats are focusing efforts on state-level races and ending the reconfiguration of voting districts through gerrymandering. Obama indicated before leaving the White House last fall that his post-presidency focus will be on General Assembly races and redistricting after the 2020 caucus. So Obama is out there talking about how you know he intends to continue to be a player focusing on state-level races to try to get Democrats elected and focus on on drawing districts. So, in other words, he's not stepping down from politics. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Now, clearly, any American citizen has an absolute right under the First Amendment to be able to express themselves and to speak out on politics as they see fit and to use whatever bully pulpit might be available to them. Historically, presidents have chosen not to do that. The exception might be Jimmy Carter, who has been a gadfly traveling all across the world, essentially since he he left office, um, generally speaking, on the wrong side of various issues. But Jimmy Carter, Jimmy Carter is the exception. But as a general rule, most presidents have decided to move on to other stuff, not focusing on partisan politics. President Obama apparently is unwilling to do that. Is he making the right choice for himself and for the country and for the Democratic Party? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Personally, I think 
I think on a lot of different reasons, I think it would be best if President Obama just recognizes he has had his moment in the sun, he had successes, he had failures, and now it's time to concentrate on foundations or building the presidential library or whatever, as opposed to actively being involved in state races. 414-799-1620. Is it unseemly for a former president to be involved in this fashion? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1122, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1124, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, Barack Obama, unlike most of his predecessors, has decided that he's going to be continuing to be involved in partisan politics. Um, He's committed himself to um, working with Democrats to elect Democrats on state-level races, trying to reclaim majorities. Democrats just lost hundreds and hundreds of seats um, all across the country during the Obama years. It, is this is this unseemly for a former president to do? Let's start with Mike and Racine. Mike, good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Mike. I got. I have a couple thoughts on this. Uh, number one, Barack Obama is a young man. He, he's got, you know, many years ahead of him to be active and to um, make a difference if he chooses to. I, I don't see anything wrong with him being involved. Um, the, other, the, the other point I'd well, like to Well, let me ask you this. I mean, Bill Clinton was a young man when he left office. George W. Bush was a relatively young man when he left office. I mean, uh, and, and they... They chose to take the more traditional way. We're going to have a foundation. We're going to try to work for world peace. We're not going to try to elect Democrats or Republicans to local offices. I, and I, I agree completely with what you're saying there, Jeff, but we've got to face it. Um, tradition isn't what it used to be. What we've experienced in the last year in politics is mind-boggling. And, I mean, when did we ever think we'd see a president that is tweeting things? Do you think Obama will help or hurt his legacy by essentially being the, the ghost of Christmas past, you know, um, actively involving himself in strategy and things like that? Do you think that's going to help him or hurt him? Um, I think it really depends on how he conducts himself. If he conducts himself... He's a great speaker. I can't think of anybody that represents the Democratic Party better than him. And I think if he goes out and, and speaks, uh, you know, with professionalism and class like he always has, um, I think he'll be fine. Does he risk if he's going to continue? Now, if he's going to continue to be the dominant figure, the de facto leader of the Democratic Party, does that block other people from? Then being able to move up and take over the mantle since he can't run again for any office. Well, I didn't really think of it in that light, uh-huh. Jeff. It, it, it may, but I think um, you know he he will have to support the upcoming Democratic leaders, and that that will be something that we'll just have to keep an eye on. Okay, thanks for calling. I get. I see. I. I mean, look, I get the young man argument, and I, I get the idea of you know what do you do after you've been the leader of the free world. And you're, you know, in your 50s. But, I mean, Bill Clinton, I mean, Bill Clinton decided, I'm going to have this foundation. Now, you can argue that he had the foundation in order to make himself personally rich. Okay, but but, but you didn't have Bill Clinton going around and trying to actively critique what his successor was doing. 
And, you know, I think you can, again, make the same argument. I mean, George W. Bush certainly didn't go around and actively critique this. I think, candidly, I'm not surprised that Obama is doing this. I think, candidly, he really risks damaging his legacy. Because, first of all, let's just be honest here. It was during the eight years of the Obama term that Democrats were decimated. Barack Obama had tremendous personal appeal. There is no question about it. He was never able to translate that appeal to other Democratic politicians. Democrats lost, you know, they lost the state, they lost the U.S. Senate. They lost control of the House of Representatives. They lost hundreds and hundreds of seats nationwide. The Democratic Party was decimated during the Obama years, again, because Obama's personal support was never able to translate to other candidates. And in all honesty, if he decides that he wants to set himself up, like I say, he's going to be the ghost of you know Christmas past, and he's going to be the, the figure that's going to dominate Democratic politics moving forward, he's going to guarantee that Democrats continue to be a minority party in this country, at least as far as elected offices, for generations, because his personal popularity does not translate to other candidates. And if he's going to be the giant force, he's going to be the asteroid blocking out the sun, you're not going to see other candidates be able to develop. You need you need to be able to move on, and you need to be able to move past Barack Obama. And I have no doubt that you know he can be a fundraising asset and things like that. But candidly, if he's going to get involved in the nitty-gritty of trying to get somebody elected to you know some statewide office in Montana or in Illinois or whatever, I think it's going to be just a huge, huge mistake on all these different levels. Eleven thirty-four. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Okay, on our WTMJ Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, truck driver Chuck. See, a history buff. He sends a note saying, "You know, wasn't there a president in the eighteen hundreds that became a senator after his term?" Because I was saying, "Okay, Barack Obama. You know, he's done with politics. I mean, he's not going to run for anything." But actually, look at the big brain on Chuck. He's exactly right. At some um, Andrew Johnson, who was the seventeenth president of the United States, he was. Uh, impeached in 1869. Um, He was impeached. He went back to Tennessee, ran for the U.S. Senate again in 1870 and 1872, and lost. However, in 1874, he became the first and only president to win a Senate seat after serving as the President of the United States. He took his seat on March 5th of 1875, and because, because life occasionally plays cruel jokes, he died four months later. So, but yes, look at the big brain on Chuck. There was I, I do not think Barack Obama is going to go back to Illinois or Hawaii and run for the U.S. Senate. I, I don't think that is in the cards. All right. I need input, and I'm particularly interested in female input. Today is what? Today is February 28th, last day of February. Tomorrow is March 1st. All right. Just advance warning. March 8th, coming up a week from tomorrow. And it may, it may be a big day because March 8th has been declared to be a day without women. And the organizers of the Women's March on Washington are calling on women, women of the world, and in particular, women of of the United States, and in even more particular, women of Wisconsin, Unite, um, organizers, 
want you to participate in the day without women. Here are the things that they say that you should do. Number one, don't go to work. Do not go to work. Take the day off. Number two, exclusively shop at small women and minority owned businesses. Hmm. Number three, for men, for men out there, you are instructed to wear red in solidarity with the women who are taking the day off. All right. Again, this strike is scheduled for International Women's Day, and it is meant to, again, call attention to the inequities that exist when it comes to women in the workforce and women in America. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will will there be a women's strike? Will women stay away from work en masse? Will they spend their time shopping only at small women and minority-owned businesses? No going to grocery stores, presumably, or things like that, if they are owned by the corporates. Um, is this going to be a success, or will this accomplish absolutely nothing? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, um, I'm open to input from anybody, but I'm particularly interested in hearing from females. How do you plan to be spending the day without women scheduled for a week from tomorrow? Will you not be going into work? 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. We are back to discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1138. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1141, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. A week from tomorrow is going to be a day without women. Organizers are calling for women to not go to work, to shop exclusively at small women and minority-owned businesses, and for men to wear red in solidarity. Now, on our text line, Daryl makes a very precise point. How can women shop at all women-owned businesses if all women are taking the day off? Now, that's that's a very good question. It is, you you know, it was one of those ponder imponderables. Okay, we want you to not go into work, but then we want you to patronize women-owned businesses. But, okay, but 414-799-1620. All right, what... Uh, what are you going to be doing? Got a lot of great female callers here. Kelly in West Bend. Kelly, you're first. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Okay. A week from tomorrow, it's a day without women. How are you going to be protesting? Well, <laughs> I'm going to be doing what I do five days a week, which is giving up and going to my job so that I can help support my family. <laughs> oh, but but aren't you, aren't you in the sisterhood? I mean, what about the solidarity type of thing? Don't you want to make a statement? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't want to spend a day off uh, protesting. I'd rather take that day off and do something with my family or do something that's actually fun. Well, the thing that also confuses me, Kelly, about and it confused me about the women's march, and it confuses me about this is what exactly is being protested. I mean, when when I saw the women's march, and there were a lot of women there, but it were all these different divergent things. You know, there were some people who were protesting because they think they should have abortion on demand and there are other people who are protesting glass ceilings and it was like i was trying to think what i don't even understand what everybody is protesting and it seems to me a lot of the things that are being protested are are, are just they're, they're not even necessarily consistent with each other correct yeah i, I don't get that either and, and that's why i'm not going to be there because <laughs> i have no idea what i'd be there for <laughs> yeah that, that, that's exactly it but you know by being there you'd have to either have to lose a day's pay or blow a day of vacation Neither one of which you want to do. No, and I don't think that my employer would be too happy to see me um, protesting for 
on a day that I should be at work. I think that might be a fair observation. Thanks for the call, uh, Kelly. Jennifer in Wauwatosa. Jennifer, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Where are you going to be a week from today? I'm going to be at work. (laughs) I find it extremely irresponsible to just say, oh, I'm not going to go to work today. If you're protesting, you know, fair pay for women or equality, that's not the way to do it because you're going to leave all the men there doing more work and having, and they're not going to forget that. They're going to hold that against you and make it more difficult. Right. So you're saying that, that if you if you want to be treated well and you want equality and stuff, the best way is to show up at work, do your job, demonstrate how good you are, not just blow off a day to go engage in some protest that nobody knows exactly what people are protesting for. A- absolutely. By not showing up, you're showing that you're irresponsible and you're not, you know, you're shucking your duties. Um, do you think this is going to have legs? Do you think it's going to have traction? A lot of women showed up at the the women's march but in all honesty jennifer i'm i'm having trouble imagining a large number of women who aren't the professional protesters um actually like staying home from their jobs i I just i just don't see it getting legs but if you have a professional woman with a professional job she's not going to just not show up yeah yeah exactly right right you're you're going to say no this is all right, the, the way I stand up and make myself be counted is I, I go into work every day and I, I do my job and I demonstrate my worth. Nancy in Kenosha. Nancy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Nancy. I, I don't understand this at all. I I don't get it at all. Who Who's going to be seeing my patients if I'm not out seeing my patients? Yep. And, and most of our employees are female. There's a few men in there, but most of our employees are female. Yep. I, I can't imagine. Imagine what would happen if nobody showed up, nobody went to work. Well, I guess that's, I mean, I guess that's the point of the organizers. If women engage in a general strike and nobody showed up, it would demonstrate how important women are in the workforce. But we all know, Nancy, that women are important in the workforce. Strike has taken on a whole new meaning. It's, It's not about what it was. Both my parents were Teamsters, and they, there were occasional strikes, but at that time, management was, was, Treating most employees unfairly. Yeah. I don't. I don't think women are. If everyone went to work and did their job, and and and, I just don't understand this. <laughs> fair enough. Fair I think enough. we. I think we'd be a much happier community if everyone just went to work and did their job. Well, and I, I think again, my, my prediction, Nancy, is will people turn out at some of these protests? Yes, but it's it's going to be the the usual suspects. It's going to be. Again, the professional protest class, it's not going to be the, the women who are going to work on a daily basis, who, who we all realize, just like men, perform a very vital, valuable service. Let's talk to Mary in Pewaukee. Mary, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I'm Harry. I'm listener, first-time caller. This is what motivated you to pick up the phone. Okay. This is. It's just so irritating. When are people going to grow up and quit whining? We all need to be responsible. All of your previous callers, we have to be responsible adults. And if we don't like something, and we know it's because they don't like Trump, let's get over it. Everybody's got to move on. Well, wait. See, and that's that's one of the... Now, I've said this before. In, in the, I was a child of the 70s. In the 60s and 70s, you had these massive protests where people were united against the Vietnam War. Okay, it, it was, you know, you had people from all different walks of life who were united against. I look at this, this, um, the, for example, the Women's March, and it's people who, like you say, they don't like Trump, 
but otherwise I can't tell what their agenda is. I mean, are, are you going to, are we seriously saying that women of the, of the United States should go out on a daytime, daylight strike, a one day strike because they don't like the president? Well, all right, that's what we have elections for, isn't it? And a lot of women voted for Donald Trump. Absolutely. So you are going to be at work. I will be there. Okay, thanks for the call. I think most people will. Uh, Lynn and Adele. Lynn, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. If Hi. I'm I will be at work where I am appreciated because we women have brains. We don't have to work someplace we're not appreciated or paid well. We know where the door is. Mm-hmm. We would walk. Right. We're, we're going to be at our jobs we love. Right. Well, exactly. And the truth is, people would, I mean, I think also everybody would understand that if all of a sudden women didn't show up at the workforce, it, it would create, it would, at work, it would create a huge issue. I, I think, don't we all appreciate men and women, people who show up every day and do their jobs? I mean, what's the purpose and what's the point of something like this? Amen. <laughs> Thanks for the call. Uh, let's see. Kathy and Franklin. Kathy, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. I I guess I agree with everything that's been said so far, but what I'd like to add is we are so busy as humankind labeling ourselves and making differences for ourselves. When are we going to figure out we're pretty much all the same and Mm -hmm. we should just get our nose to the grindstone? Yeah, this idea of of if you you don't see the world as a women versus men sort of thing or a, you know, white versus black sort of thing. We're just all kind of people trying to figure out how to get by day to by day. We are. My parents, God God rest them, never told me I could or had to do something because I was a girl. So I can fix a car, <laughs> and I can build shelves, and I can bake an angel food cake, and I have my own business, and I'm going to be at work next Wednesday <laughs> because my patients deserve it. <laughs> well, i got to tell you something, Kathy. I can't build shelves, I can't fix a car, and I sure as heck can't bake an angel food cake. So you've got three on me right there, my friend. <laughs> Well, my parents never discouraged me from trying anything, and I just feel, I mean, I did a lot of dissection in medical school. We're all the same, Jeff. <laughs> right. We, some of us might have different body parts, but beyond beyond the difference between boys and girls, we're at, at heart, we're all the same. Exactly. A- absolutely. No, see, that's, this is going to... This is going to fail miserably. Uh, Christina writes on our text line, I will be spending the day working. First, I like my job and would not jeopardize it by not showing up. Secondly, what do they really think this will accomplish? The day without Latinos, um, I, I noticed absolutely no change to my day. Third, I want to see a day without men. Then we can really have a discussion. <laughs> there you go. Um, and, of course, let's see. It's, you know, uh, let's see. We've got, I'm a woman. Um, stupidest thing I've heard recently. If... The proud women's boutique owner takes the day off. How will I shop there? People really need to get a life these days. Yeah, I think this is going to be a, a bridge too far. Now, this is this is the protest du jour. Here's here's the reality of what is happening. After President Trump was elected and took office, you had these these massive protests. You had the day without. You had the the women's march, and a lot of people showed up. And so now, the organizers are trying to figure out a way to remain relevant. But they recognize that they have a problem because, like we were saying earlier, people aren't united in a single issue. You look at the people that showed up at the Women's March, all sorts of different issues, only united by the fact that they apparently didn't vote for Donald Trump and don't like Donald Trump. So the question is, how do you build a movement around 
we don't like someone. I mean, we've seen in Wisconsin how that is a recipe for electoral failure. You've got 40-some percent of the population that doesn't like Scott Walker. Well, that's not enough to defeat Scott Walker. So what you have is these organizers who are trying to figure out a way to keep the momentum going, to try to keep this group together. But if they're not united in a cause, or the only cause is we don't like Trump, that is a recipe for failure. More importantly, I mean, really, don't go to work, don't show up, don't participate. Come on. I mean, the reality is this shows, I think, how clueless you know, many of these organizers and some of these like pie in the sky kind of lefties are when it comes to recognizing the reality, whether it's a male or a female, you show up, you wake up every morning, you get dressed, you go to work, you earn money to try to support yourself and your family and your kids, and then you move on. I predict this will be a classic, classic failure. It's 1152. Um, we're going to wrap up my show. And of course, this is the debut of Scafidi and Bill Stat. We'll find out what they've got coming up as well. It's 11.52, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 11.55, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Um, ever since Charlie announced that he was retiring and we announced that I was going to be moving in this slot, the question that I was asked most often was, okay, what's going into noon to three? And we know the answer, and today is the debut of our new noon to three program. Steve Scafidi, the soon-to-be former mayor of Oak Creek, right? You haven't quite stepped down yet, right? Friday, 8 a.m., Jeff. Friday, 8 a.m., and Eric Bilstadt. So, welcome. As I, as I have said before, I'm excited about this. I think you guys are going to do us a great job, and um, I am really impressed with our station management for their recruiting efforts and finding people and staying live and local for that noon-to-three slot. So, I am excited. So don't disappoint me. What do you got coming up on the show? A <laughs> little bit of pressure there, huh? Oh, man. <laughs> Nothing but pressure, but we thrive in, under pressure, so we're ready for it. And, and it's ex- exciting for me, but uh, also for Eric, because he's, you know, he's been in the news mm-hmm. department, and now he gets to kind of spread his wings a bit. So we're very excited about that. We're going to talk about Kellyanne Conway to kind of lead off the show. All about how you sit on a couch yeah. in, the, uh, in the Oval Office has caused uh, quite a bit of controversy, so we'll touch on that. Obviously, every day at 1 o'clock, 4 at 1, four biggest stories as we see it. So lots of things going on. That the Kellyanne Conway story is it's just it is amazing to me how how people will blow up a particular story. I mean she's she's in the Oval Office and she's she gets on the couch and she's apparently kneeling she's on the couch and she's getting ready to take a picture. She's trying to get an angle and then of course how disrespectful this is and how awful it is, you know. And it, and of course, I, again without being Barack Obama, lots of pictures of him with his feet up on the desk mm-hmm. and things like that. But if it's if it's Kellyanne Conway, and, and she actually she had her shoes on while she was doing this, too. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah, the whole thing is just awkward. She had it's her more sh- awkward than anything else. And she's then wearing it, a skirt, and she's on her knees, and it's... Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, that should be, because it sounds like you might have a completely different take <laughs> well, of this story than I did. So, okay, that's good. Different but similar. Maybe that's the good thing. So what are some of the other regular features you guys are going to have? Well, the, you know, it's funny you say that because we've had some people ask about what we've already been doing. Like, there ought to be a law right. that will continue. So you're going to hear that from time to time. Our Friday forum will continue. So we always want to bring in two very different people from two very different walks of life on Friday just to to hear their take and their insight on and whatever they do in the world. We're also going to learn more about some of these stories other than just the 10-second the sound bites that you see in the 10 o'clock news. Right. Just stretching it out a little bit. And being more simple with some of these stories, and I think most importantly, having fun with them too. It's it, we for so long have constantly been arguing, yelling. You know th- that seems to just be tiresome for us. And life is too short. We should smile some more. 
and where appropriate, you, you will be taking calls as well. Correct? Oh, absolutely. And, absolutely. And, and as, as I've been saying for the last, yesterday was the first day we rolled out our new Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, which mm-hmm. is our it's our traditional call-in number, 414-799-1620. But in addition to calling, and we want you to call in and participate because it is a radio talk show, you can also you can also text. And mm-hmm. for the last two days, it, it, our, my, my, this text line has exploded, and I try to monitor that and where appropriate, like add some of that. So it's just another way that people can participate. I see we're getting ready to live stream oh, yeah. the first segment of your show Facebook on live. on Facebook Live. You can participate that way with comments as well. So, um, And, of course, there, there, there's the podcast. So check out the podcast page, particularly my podcast page as well. <laughs> but but um, Scafidi and Bill Stat kicks off in just a couple minutes. I am out of time. I am back 8.30 tomorrow morning. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to hear President Trump's address to Congress I will be watching that tonight, and we will comment on it tomorrow. Have a great Tuesday. Stay dry. It's 1159. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.